Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pickney, and today we are joined by Josh Brown. Josh is the co-founder of Hague Brown Real Estate, a firm that is responsible for bringing national retailers into our city, retailers like Starbucks, Slim Chicken, Freddy's, Zoli's, Checkers, Steak and Shake, CVS, and more. Josh has been named Business Executive of the Year by Arkansas State University. Uh, he was also listed as one of the 40 most influential people in uh, Arkansas under the age of 40. Um, he is a top commercial broker in sales volume in Northeast Arkansas over the past 10 years. They've accumulated uh, over $600 million in brokerage volume. This is a great episode where Josh shares some of what he's learned over the years in regards to leadership, uh, people skills, faith, and the importance of things like humility and hard work. With that, here's today's episode with Josh Brown. Josh Brown, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. You bet. Thanks. Um, so I've looked at your resume, which is very impressive, and I've known you from afar for several years now. Um, so I know a little bit about you, but I don't know a whole lot. Tell me if you can kind of take me back, how did you get from where you are? Like, where did you come from and how did you get to the position that you're in today? Well, uh, I grew up in Poinsett County in, uh, Painway and I went to, went to school at Mark Tree and went to church and, uh, in Truman at, at Maple Grove Baptist and, um, went to Arkansas State, uh, and really thought I was going to be a lawyer and, uh, yeah. I was pre-law the whole time I was there, so I went through the political science program, and um, I graduated from Arkansas State, um, and <clears throat> my time at Arkansas State was a pivotal time for me because I'd, I'd been in church my whole life, and I did not get saved until my senior year at Arkansas State, right before my last year there, mm-hmm. and it, it really shifted kind of all of my thinking mm-hmm. and really changed everything I was doing um, when I got saved, when I was 21. Mm-hmm. So I graduated, and I was working for an attorney in downtown Jonesboro, a guy named Scott Davidson, um, and I was just waiting to go to law school. And uh, um, I met, who's now my wife then, uh, she was in in town and she went to Maple Grove. She was in town for the summer. She went to UCA and Conway. And, uh, through my time of working with that attorney, I met someone in real estate and they talked me into getting a real estate license. And, um, I put together some marketing materials and put up a sign and I sold a track of land. And, you know, it was in a summer and in a time where I was going on mission trips, I'd went to India and I'd went to, you know, New York, over and over and over again on the same mission trip and um I was really on fire and I was uh you know that time of of meeting kind of dating my wife and getting a real estate license and selling a farm and you know I'd I'd made money on that time and I understood hard work because I'd worked on the farm and I'd worked at crop services 100 hours a week all the summers during the college so I'd I thought that I was going to keep pursuing that until, you know, maybe it was just a fluke. But, you know, right after that, I sold a family dollar, and then I sold an Exxon station, and then I sold really anything I could touch for some period of time uh, for the first six months I was in the business. And and why do you think that is? Like, 
tell me this first off, like what attracted you to real estate? So you were on this one track, like what was it about real estate? Cause that's a, seems like a unique jump. Maybe it's not, but like what appealed to you about that? Like, yeah, I think I'll try real estate. You know, I didn't, it, it's, I, I was attracted to it. I guess just like anybody else is, I, I liked it, but it was really a, a guy that, um, I think he saw me at lunch and I had a laptop on and a sports coat and He's like, there's not many 21-year-olds eating at Sheffield's in downtown Jonesboro. It was mm-hmm. kind of a dump back then um, at lunch, kind of going through their Yahoo News feed and their Fox News uh, videos. And uh, I think I was the the missing girl there that was so popular for so long. Um, uh, the lady in Aruba, uh, I think it was Aruba. But anyway, it was captivating, the news, and I was watching it in there. And, and he he asked me to come to his office, and I went to his office, and you know, it was this big sprawling office and there was aerials on the wall and mm-hmm. it's kind of enamored with how, mm-hmm. like, wow, this is really nice and big. And um, he just kind of saw something in me that was like, hey, I, th- I think you should get a real estate license and see what this looks like. So, you know, I, I, back then you had to, you know, doing something online was a little bit different than it is now. So you, you could order these CDs online and do your, uh, you could do your education online. And I got the 60 hour course and I did it in a week and turned wow. it in. And the, the, the lady at the course was like, this can't be done. It's like, we've never had one turned in in six days. And I did, and I got licensed really soon after. And, um, but the, the only explanation I have is the, the Lord connected lots of dots in a short period of time for me mm-hmm. and the the only thing that I think you know bringing my my faith into the success that happened early was I think most of the people that are in that business are in that business because of who they know or their parents or I think there's lots of preconceived things that keep you from doing big things if you know not to do some of those things I just didn't know any better to not I didn't know how to not do things or how to how you're yeah. supposed to. Do like, it. what are some of those things? Like, what's coming to your mind when you say well, that? I just think you know specifically one of the projects we did. We did with a, a person that you know people in real estate that I talked to after was like, man, that guy's never worked with anybody before. I would have never called him. You know, mm-hmm. I would have never sat down and done mm-hmm. this or done that. And I think I think what my what my faith did um, right after I got saved is it gave me a maybe a different confidence that I had in the past that I looked at all of this as like, this is just really a monopoly board. It's like not ours. We don't control any of these pieces and I'm not nervous about going and meeting Uh, anybody. I'm not, you know, it it was very, you did not have a fear of failure. No fear of failure at all. Zero fear of being told no. Um, And also I had this drivenness to do two things of one, be more educated in that space than anybody in, in our area. So I quit, I wanted to quickly get that. And I did through a series of designations, but then right after that, I also wanted to have more information than anybody in, in our area. So I wanted to know every owner of every parcel, why they owned it, you know, what the situations are on the, what, whether it's a building or commercial lot or those things. And then as my as time passed and my career kind of moved forward a little bit, I then wanted to know who's the list of these companies that should be here that are not here and what things can you do to make them, you know, see us or make them want to be here and 
that led me into... Explain that a little bit more, because that's new to me. Well, companies that you, you think of in Paragold, think of like a, the slim, a Slim Chicken, something yep. that we, we got done is, you know, you can look at the city of Paragold and you can think, man, there's not a Chick-fil-A here. There's not a Slim Chickens here. There's not a, you know, Raising Cane's here. Starbucks, um, whatever it may be, right? Yeah, there's not these... There's not these things here and in most cities this size there are okay yep so what hap- what what we think just living in the community is oh if chick-fil-a knew how much business they could do in Paragould, arkansas they would beat our doors down that's not the way that but that it works so huh. the way that it really works is if someone that knows what they're doing knows the right site and they know the the economics of what a slim chickens can really pay for a site, how much it really costs to build their building, mm. and what their store sales really are going to be. You can kind of do all the work for them, and package it up in a way that makes it put Paragold in front of them uh, in a way that it would have never been in front of them. So, and you was anybody really doing that that you know of in Jonesboro before you started in it? Nobody did it. So that's, that's what happened. I mean, that's the only real reason. We have we did 100 national restaurants and retails and retailers in Jonesboro in a period of 10 years. Jeez. So it was, you know, the Panera Breads and the Red Lobster, and there was no Starbucks there when we did. Uh, started, we've got three now. And So how did was, you, tell me this first off. Like, I want to come, there's so many questions I want to ask. Let me start with this one, I guess. Like, how did you figure that out like are you just wired by god to like see things that aren't there like because some of those visionaries right like is that just you like i can just you can just it's a gift from god like man i can just see it and figure it out and that just is what it is or like is there a little bit more of a science or math behind it like how did you look and say this hey nobody's doing this first off you saw it Nobody else, I guess, had seen it. Or if they had, they didn't do anything about it. So what was that that allowed you to be like, okay, I see it, and I'm going to do something about it? Well, the what the the prayer and the ask always, I think, my mom's for me and my wife's for me and, and mine for myself is is just to be able to do something that can't be explained, like to not be able to answer your question other than to just say, mm-hmm. I do think it's just genuinely of the Lord sometimes. And in this case, it is because we've not put in the hundred-hour weeks. We don't work on the weekends. We're not. Mm. I'm not driving a vehicle, you know, a hundred thousand miles a year to do things. Mm. We have been very adamant to get up early and work, um, but to shut that down in the afternoon and go home, mm. and to not work in the on the weekends. I I haven't worked a weekend in my entire career. I've never wow. worked a Saturday. I, I don't get out until building. I don't. Go pick up people at the airport, and that's um, not at all normative in real estate, right? It isn't the norm. I mean, it's legitimately if that's you, usually people's busiest time, right? Yeah, if you, I mean, if you go to interview at most um, the new big commercial real estate firms and big markets, you basically have to agree to this is going to be my life for some period of time. And it was always important to us when it was just us that we were we were good dads and good husbands, um, and then work took a very important, you know, backseat to those things. Mm. And then when we grew the company, it was way more important for us to have a company full of really good wives and really good husbands and, you know, really good sons and really good dads than it was 
really talented, savvy, workaholic kind of real estate people. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, I, I do think that I, I have a gift for being able to maybe be a bit of a visionary mm-hmm. on being able to see, uh, um, go into a market and see what I feel like is not there and what could be there and where the best places for those things to be. Uh, but I think the second piece of that, my my partner and really a lot of the people around me, the, the financial piece of that to understand, you know, why and Andy's frozen custard can't come to Paragold and build a new store right now. Um, to understand the the land costs this, the building costs this, that means the rent equals this. And if the rent equals this, there's some percentage of sales that gets to, you know, they can, almost any of the companies can look at the market, do a study and predict about what their annual sales are going to be. And there's some percentage of that that they can pay to be there. So when you run that scenario, we don't waste a lot of time on things that we know can't happen. Um, so I think I just learned that through studying what restaurants. So you're just calling around in the early days because no one's, and you're just like asking, like, "Hey, how much does it cost for this?" Wearing people out. <laughs> Literally, that's just good. Wearing. We pulled up the emails on Chipotle, and my first emails and my first my first meetings with Chipotle were. 10 years, by we missed it by two days from it being a 10-year anniversary from my first email to... 10 years? 10 years. So so for 10 years, you're trying to get them here? For 10 years, you're trying to get information from them? Well, 10 years that I was trying to get them to Jonesboro. But and why were they saying no? Well, they, they weren't saying no. They were just, you have to have this perfect, um, you have to have the right site, and it has to be at the right price, and it really has to be at, at the right time that they can package it up and put it in the real estate committee and um, and make that happen. So a lot of them don't. A lot of things don't take that long. But that's a good example of I learned so much about so many things from all of my conversations with Chipotle over the years that you know never manifested until we did a project ten years later with them. How many potential? Uh deals do you have going on in your head on a weekly basis well to like potential like hey this might be a, a land, this might be land for this people or like for these people or hey they might be able to uh, there's hundreds um but they're it's really the the way that the way that our company has grown we've, we've really turned over um pieces of this to other people so we've really mm-hmm. dissected our company to where uh we have a, a person that's over our investments and looks at those kinds of things for our company and also for clients. And, you know, if you're talking about strip centers or just investment properties in general, he kind of, um, he runs that part of our company. And we have another uh, broker that really handles like the leasing and a lot of the other things that are um, more relationship management kind of things and we've we've brought in someone else that does uh our farmland and a new ag part of our company and we've got someone else that does like our industrial and our warehousing so we've really got about six pieces of our company that are all ran by people and what i where i'm most effective is um putting the putting maybe the project together the thought together and marrying up the 
this site in Batesville is a, whatever that site is, Slim Chicken site. So I'd like for you to do this. And then I can kind of back out and go do something else. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't that's know if good. That answers the question. Yeah, it does. Have you found that the longer y'all have been in existence now that you have such a reputation, has it been easier for you to hire the right people for the right seats? Like, I guess I'm just wondering from a management standpoint, like sometimes, you know, I work with different owners and like the hardest thing in my job is finding good help, like finding people who are qualified to do the job. Like, have you found that to be the case for, for you guys? Or is it like the longer you've been there, like now it's at the point where it's like, Hey man, people want to come work for us. And it's just easy to find that or, we're really, really, really slow to hire anybody. Um, we've never found it hard to hire, uh, but we've we've also we've not grown in a typical way. So, you know, we've we've wanted to launch this ag agriculture piece of our company for almost ten years, and we've not done it because we didn't have like a. Uh, what we didn't want to do is say we're going to start an ag company and we want to interview people to run it. We've never done that mm. for anything, really, to my knowledge of, of any part of our company. Instead, what we've done is we've kind of guided some conversations and, you know, we've we've just recently, um, last six months, met someone uh, from Paragould that really was only meeting, it was meeting me for something else and it turned into that direction of, of man, I've, I feel like they could be a really great leader of this mm. and... We are really slow to bring people into our, our work environment, mm-hmm. um, what, what, whatever position that is, if it's a sign person or marketing or graphic design or um, being a broker. Uh, we're, we're really, really slow. Uh, but I think that we've got – everybody in our company is so aligned on, on mm. really everything, mm. the company, the direction. They're, they're good people. They're people that you want. You know, as yeah, yeah. as customers or people you want as friends or cut people that you want, um, really kind of in all aspects of life, not just you know leasing your building when you when you have lease space or managing your building or whatever that is. Where did that I, I'd call that wisdom? Like, where do you think that level of maturity and decision making came from? Because I think it's easy to like, especially for your company. I think as quick as y'all begin to grow, to be like, we got to get somebody in here. You know, and obviously I'm guessing there are times where it's like you probably did need to go ahead and get somebody, but you're like, you know what, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit and make sure we get the right person. Like, where do you think that came from? My my partner exclusively. I get 0% credit and he gets 100% <laughs> credit. So I'm, I'm quick and I'm warm and fuzzy and I I'm, I can, you know. Let's oh get it done goodness. yesterday. I, yeah, I'm so distracted. I, I, I throw so many things against the wall and <laughs> yeah. I just – I kind of consider him the wall and he is, uh, he's a lot wiser than I am. He's, he's, he's calculated, uh, his words matter. Like all of his words matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is, you know, he and I made a decision very early that we're, we're fortunate to be in a, in a, in a business that he and I, and really one assistant slash manager can do a lot. We can do a lot of work with just me and my partner and a manager mm. and really live anywhere we want to and mm-hmm. office anywhere we want to. And so we made a decision very early on that we were never going to add anybody into our kind of work family 
that made that made our experience bad. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it weren't if it wasn't somebody that we felt like was going to raise our bar, regardless of what position it was, that was not going to challenge us to be better marketers, better business people, or better husbands or whatever. If they weren't going to make us better in some way, mm-hmm. we just weren't going to do. We weren't going to bring them in. Yeah. Um, that's been good, and you know it's. But he has been. He gets all the credit for that. Yeah. So if I I get really quick to dream up a something in a position, and um, this is a great just, idea. He yeah. just usually kind of talks me into uh, a better decision. <laughs> Slows you down a little bit. Where do you so. think your drive came from? You need to talk about earlier. You're like, I'm gonna know more information, you know, and I'm gonna know this, and I'm gonna know that I'm gonna be the best at this. Like, is, was that? in you as a child or is that developed like way later in life you know i'm a as kind of i get older and i I do more seminars and kind of read more books and um i think that you make intervals when you're young that i think the things that happen to you when you're a child maybe kind of steer the direction of everything and i think that i think maybe i made some intervals of you know, wanting to be successful and wanting to be a good husband and wanting to be a good dad really early for lots of different reasons. Um, but I'm just, I, I just generally want to win. Um, I'm generally driven in, uh, it makes me a terrible, you know, person to be on a board or be on a committee or even sometimes being on a team because I, I feel so distracted if I can't, not get my way, but if I can't, if what I'm doing and what I'm seeing, if I can't make those things happen and try to make them happen quickly, I, I, I lose focus and yes, it's hard. Um, How do you turn that uh, drive to win off? Like, was that hard for you or have you found that to be pretty easy? Like, cause I, I'm, I'm fairly competitive and have I've always been, you know, in sports and all that and have a drive and want to win. Certainly don't want to lose. Um, and I have found the more I talk with other people who are like me that have that desire to win or to reach a goal, sometimes it's hard, even though if you're physically sitting still, your mind's still running. Is that something you struggle with or have you found like the secret sauce of like, Oh no, man, like when I turn it off, like I truly turn it off. You know, I, I don't ever turn it off. I've certainly not found a, uh, a secret sauce, but I've, I've found if you just generally make a practice of committing to, uh, not, you know, not go on week-long road trips or not go on, not work on weekends, not come home and get on your computer. Um, I, I set boundaries, and I'm also blessed. To, I, I don't do a lot of these things. You know, my mom uh, my mom prayed for me all the time when I was a kid and even as an adult, and then I've got a wife that uh, prays for me every day, and she's uh, – you know, she's, she's in the word and she's, um, if I were to get outside of these boundaries, she would quickly call me out on that. Mm. And I'm also blessed with a partner at work that, you know, it's not, not like a father son relationship, but it's probably as close to that as you could find in any wow. business. That's awesome. Um, in that, uh, I just don't want to disappoint him, you know, and I, I don't know, that can, kind of keeps me in the boundaries from some things that, you know, even when I get fleshly stuff or some competitiveness comes out in a way that it shouldn't, it's like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. I can't embarrass my partner, can't embarrass my wife, 
Um, so I think those key relationships, and I'm also a big believer now that I'm a dad. My mom used to tell me this, and I had no idea that it was true. Uh, but you look and talk and act like the f- you know five or six people you spend all your time with, you do. And mm. it doesn't change any when you're an adult. It's the exact same. So I'm a big believer in just being around those kind of people and, mm-hmm. you know, keeping them close to me and keeping my friends close enough to me that uh, there are also people that are I want to be like, you know. I want to hang around men that I would be okay with my daughter marrying, and mm-hmm. I want to be around, uh, you know, our family and want the women there to be people that I'd want my son marrying, yeah. you know. So yeah. I, I'm naturally I'm too competitive, and it brings out, you know, fleshly stuff that's not good sure um so but the people that i've i've surrounded myself with help me with that part of well and that's huge man because all of our personalities have a dark side to them you know it all does yeah. and, and if you have people around you who are not afraid to let you know when they see that and pray for you and not leave you when that happens and be like hey dude like i've seen the good bad and ugly and i'm still here yeah you know if we're in this journey together like what else can you ask for in a friend you know i mean like you're going to that's beautiful. I, I, I'm curious, like, what would you say, you know, a lot of it's, Ecclesiastes has been on my mind a lot lately. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I've gone back. Someone sent me a video yesterday, matter of fact, of Rick Rubin, um, who's like one of the greatest producers of all time, and he it, and there's a video that just came out yesterday where he was talking about how after his first album hit number one, somebody said, how does it feel? And he said, I've never been more miserable in my life. And of course, this guy's not a follower of Christ and all that, but he was just basically saying, like, when you get to the top of the mountain, it's Ecclesiastes, right? You get to the top of this mountain and you think, like, man, if I ever could have the number one record, like, I would be so satisfied and so fulfilled. And then you get there and you're more miserable than ever because it didn't do it for you what you thought. And now you're like, I don't have any other goal. So it's like he said, it's almost better to, like, just never get to the mountain and think it'll make you happy and ignorance is bliss than actually get there and be like, crap, that didn't do it. And so. What he was just saying, I got to redefine success and I got to redefine the win. I've got it. so, like, for you, I'm curious as someone who's been highly successful in the business world, a lot of people would look at that and be like, that's the dream, you know, and like, and if I could just start a business, make some money, whatever, like, then I know without a shadow of a doubt, like, all my problems would go away. I'd be happy. I'd be fulfilled. Like, what would you say to someone like that? Because I think that is like so, that's the American dream, right? And so many people believe that. Like, would you agree with that and say, like, actually, yeah, like, that will satisfy you, it will fulfill you, like pursue that, or is there an element to where you would even be like, hey, be careful here because this thing is not going to do for you what some of you may think that it'll do for you. And if it doesn't do for you that, like what, I guess, what is that thing for you? Like what does success look like? Like what is the goal for you? Does that make sense? It does. And we, you know, my wife and I talk about it a lot, um, but I've I've been fortunate. I've, I, I get to see a pretty broad broad spectrum of successful people yeah sure and you know we've got we've got clients and and one I would say the this isn't a my clients thing this is a a people that have achieved a a level of success that's kind of off the charts and I would say a majority of them um, are so um, they're so consumed by the next thing or the next deal or the next um Mm. accolade or or whatever that is that it's almost impossible for them to enjoy where they're at and i think that you know and and in 
in extreme circumstances, there's this overdosing on the world. You know, I think the world is, you know, if you're a believer uh, like I am, I, I think the world is not our home. We're built out of fleshly stuff that's not good. And I think that you can get an overdose of the world. I think you can get an overdose of success, an overdose of power. And when you do, it's it's kind of game over. You you see it over and over in in celebrities and in you know in rock bands or whoever that is. Yeah. You you just typically don't see a um, Britney Spears that yep. hit it big or a Macaulay Calkins or yeah. a yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson or you know you you look at the profiles of these people and they were just like. Oh my goodness! They battled the worst demons of anybody ever, or athletes. Even the, you know, Michael Jordan yeah, documentaries yes. and and other things. People that have re- reached high levels. Um, I am my most happy whenever I, I force myself to be um, kind of eternity minded. And I, I always say this, but anytime I serve or anytime I give or anytime I've been on a, a mission trip or I've done something that I didn't on paper have time to to do or didn't really make sense um, or anytime I, mm-hmm. I have done things with, with my family, um, whenever, um, I mean, eternity-minded and focused, and usually that starts with, you know, exercising and kind of doing a quiet time and being reminded of like, you know, the big things that come up today are not a really big deal. Um, I'm, I'm generally most happy. Yeah. And I'm also, I also get, you know, I, I like sitting back, especially with our team and kind of reminding ourselves of pointing to things that, you know, that we helped create or we helped do mm-hmm. and how they've impacted mm-hmm. people or, in our case, we, we've tried to help impact churches, and we've tried yes. to help impact different ministries and those kinds of things. Yeah. Y'all been a big um, impact in our church. But it, we, we've tried to do those things, and our effort is to do those things behind the curtain. Yeah. So we get, you know, we get, because of signs and, and the things we do in the media, we're contacted almost every day about trying to give to a softball field or to a children's ministry that's going here somebody doing this and they're almost all fantastic causes sure we just had to we we my partner and i kind of came together and we're like where do we want to give our giving what do we want that to look like and it's a big responsibility it is it is and but it's also the thing that kind of helps keep keep your mind on things that matter and not it helps you take your focus off the hundred deals running through your mind. Um, and we made a decision that, uh, that we were going to support churches that were, were spreading the gospel and we were going to support, um, an organization that we're really active in. It's called never thirst. And then we've been fortunate that some of our, uh, our closest friends, even some people in our company have, they do mission work. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan in our office, he and his wife just launched this uh, Unfold the Family ministry. Mm. And like we, we want to support those things. Awesome. And, but we want to support them in a way that um, we don't want to plaque. You know, mm. We don't really want anybody to know. Mm. And that's so counterintuitive. Like The whole marketing is 
you know, when the 14-year-old girl calls and they're going on, um, you know, a girl's soccer retreat and they really need funding and they're doing, they're hosting some car wash and they're like, you know, the first thing they say to you is, you know, your logo can be huge. You know, the golf tournaments, you will say sponsored by Hague Brown or whatever. Yeah. And we have always been, my partner and I have always been aligned on the thought of we don't do any marketing that way. So we don't spend any money mm. that way. And we never have, uh, to my knowledge. Um, we, we've seen what that money um, for instance, us spending five or ten thousand dollars to sponsor a pretty major golf tournament for a really great charity that's really important. What we have found is if we we can use that same amount of money and we can put a well in Uganda, and it can change mm. five hundred people's like turn mm. their lives upside down, mm. and they don't care who Hague Brown is, and they mm. don't they don't really care about any of that stuff they don't even know they and really, even literally they did, life or would, death type stuff yeah yeah life or death stuff and and for us it's really challenging to um you know we just made a commitment that our spending is going to be done in private our giving is going to be done in private and i feel like the lord has just blessed us beyond belief because of that a hundred percent yeah i mean he knows what you're going to do with the money you know i right. once heard rick warren People, some people love him, some people hate him, whatever. But, you know, he did the whole reverse tithing thing. And uh, you probably heard about that where he gave away 90% of his money and kept 10%. And he always says, like, I think that the reason God gave the Purpose Driven Life such success is because he knew what I would do with the money. And he knew I'd be generous with it. And I just think of the same thing with with you guys and what you're what you're doing. And I, I love that, man, just the fact that you guys are – yeah, you got a kingdom mindset, man. You know, Jay Allen's a good friend of mine on Allen Engineering. He's the same way with his company. And it's just, you know, I, that's one of the reasons I love having people like you on the podcast is these are the stories that need to be celebrated. And because it's easy to just look at, hey, Brandon, be like, yeah, it's just a real estate company that's making some money and trying to live the high life. And it's like, yeah, but they're Austin. Like, our world is a better place, legitimately, you know, because of that. I know that you don't want the credit for that. Nobody else does. But I just want to say, man, it really is a great encouragement to me that y'all do that. I'm curious, uh, just to kind of switch gears, like with Paragold, as someone who's from the, you're, you're in Jonesboro, but you see Paragold, you're involved here, I know that you're connected with Central, and you also have uh, had your fingerprints in several deals, like you talked about. What do you like about Paragold, just from the seat that you sit in? Like, what is it you like about it? Like, what would other businesses, if you're even talking to someone, like, what do you sell them on? What do you see in the city? Well, there's a there's a couple of things that come to mind, but the first one today that comes to mind is um, your leadership today, mm -hmm. uh, your mayor, your uh, Allison, and the role she plays with economic development and the business community. It's it, it feels like a community that is aligned yes. on a good direction, yep. and that's rare. And uh, your incomes are going up. Your population's going up. Uh, I think that your leaders are focused on important things that are good for the community, mm -hmm. uh, like trail systems and, mm -hmm. you know, reviving this downtown corridor and and really recruiting people uh, as opposed to kind of sitting around and, and re recruiting industry. I think that's the way that the playbook worked 30 years ago, and I think today communities uh, – 
recruit people that are successful and then businesses follow people. And I I listened to a podcast with, um, I think his name is Haslam, but he was a governor of Tennessee for two terms. And uh, a lot of people think that he's been the most effective governor in kind of our lifetimes of Tennessee and what he did and and kind of the direction of that state. And um, that's the first thing he said is, Said, you know, if I had any success, it was because I think I seen earlier than most that we needed to make Nashville a place that people really wanted to live. Not we need to go get a Tesla factory or we need to recruit Amazon. It was a we need to make this like the the music capital of the country, and we really need to, you know, what's an NFL team going to mean for Nashville? And mm-hmm. he really started doing that placemaking before anybody else did and and it was successful that's the right playbook and I think that Paragold um at least our experience has been you know you may get calls from leaders here that's like I was thinking about this and how could I do that you just don't get that from other mayors and other economic Mm. development people like they're they're legitimately thinking how can we get this deal done yeah. In this area to do this. And you just a lot of communities don't have that kind of leadership. That's that's one. The reason Paragold's been a little bit easy for me has been we're a big believer, you know, we never want to do a project one time. We always want to do a project in Jonesboro and then figure out where else can we can do it. Mm-hmm. And Paragold is such a natural uh, place for us to do a slim chickens in Jonesboro and then go to Paragold mm-hmm. and do Starbucks and Jonesboro, and then go to Paragould. And, you know, I can name that over and over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, Fazoli's and Elite Eye Care and CVS. And almost all the things we've done in Paragould is because I've kind of put together yeah. the recipe in Jonesboro, mm. and they already have kind of the system in place, so it's easy to come to Paragould and do that. Um, you know, now I'm, I'm just tied to the community in lots of ways because of the leadership and We've we've been so active in doing projects here over the last few years, um, mm. but also my you know some of my closest friends. Blake mm-hmm. was my uh, best friend when he lived in Jonesboro. Mm-hmm. Now he lives here, and um, you know on the way over here, I was talking to Austin Samuelson. He he's the he founded Tacos for Life, and he's in Conway. And we did a lot of their real estate stuff, and got really close to Austin. And Austin and Blake were really close friends in college, mm. and. They're both crazy busy. They've got kids. Austin's running Tacos for Life, and Blake's <laughs> preaching and raising kids. And Austin mentioned, uh, he's like, you know, let's not even talk about, you know, maybe we'll get together soon. It's like, let's just go ahead and write it up that mm. we'll just visit in heaven and catch up. <laughs> because we're yeah. never going to get together. Yeah. Ever. until Like, at least in the next yeah. 20 years, yeah. we're never just going to get together and hang out yeah. and catch up. So, yeah. But it's like that with Blake. He... Before kids, uh, it was he was a much better friend. About <laughs> Dude, kids changed the game, yeah. man. We were just talking about that in our elder meeting right before this, just because we all have kids now. One of them, our elders, has five kids, and he was like, it's finally catching up to me. Yeah. Like this whole kid thing, man. It's just like it dominates your life, and yeah. it's like every, every little bit of spare time you have left. And so that is the nature. I, I'm curious, a couple more questions before we move into some rapid fire. Is, uh, one of them is, what do you think when you look back on your life at this point um, – mainly your adult life and and with, with Hague Brown and everything, like is there any big takeaway, anything, any lessons that you learned 
um, that just really stick out to you, whether it's in, 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 uh, in how you deal with people or what you've seen in people or leadership or management or taking risk or any of that kind of stuff, entrepreneurship, anything that just jumps out to you? You know, there's a, there's a lot. Um, but I'd, I'd just say that, you know, one of the things I've, I've tried to communicate to, uh, to people in college is, is to go in and, and work under who you want to be like, or just go in and work at places that, um, it's what you think you might want to do. And I think at looking back as a, as a college student and in the college students, they are so, um, I don't want to say, uh, it's so hard for them to see themselves being successful. Like a lot of leaders would be whatever it is, whether it's in real estate or banking or whatever it is. Um, but it's, it's not like that. What I, what I would say is like as a, as a college kid, if I, if I could coach my daughter and if my daughter is wanting to be, you know, uh, a veterinarian mm-hmm. and there's a veteran, I would, what I would challenge her to do is to find a veterinarian and, and work for them and, and do it in such a way, even if you don't get paid for it and figure out if, if that's something that you want to do. And it's, it's a little bit mind blowing to me how many people have um, that have really been successful have done that, like either in college or right yes. after college, and just went right into, I want to be like this person. Yeah, and, and, and go really, find them an apprentice under prevention. That's it, and and it's not even if there's not an internship, if mm-hmm. there's not, just be willing to do anything and like present yourself in such a way that's like. You know, I'll, I would do anything to learn under you. I'd work for free. I'd work for someone who works for you for free if I if I could get in and, and see if this is something that I want to do. And I don't know that I – it's hard to explain that to college kids in such a way that they believe it. Um, but that's how I'm trying to coach my daughter now. And so that's been a big takeaway. And another one is is, you know – We've got I've got friends that work at factories uh, or or at universities or at churches that are happier and more content mm-hmm. than people that I have that are worth an undescribable amount of money, and I think that um, also have people that are you know are in those positions that are better moms and they're raising better kids, mm-hmm. and. I, I think that you can have happiness and peacefulness um, whether you're making kind of the lower end of the mm-hmm. income or, or you're really rich. And I think you can be miserable if you're low income and you can be miserable if yeah. you're high income. Yes. And my general consensus would be is the very, very top of that, the really, really, really wealthy is it's they're just as unhappy as people that are, you know, struggling and, Paycheck to paycheck kind of stuff, and it that's hard to describe too. It's you know I, I think you can be um, you can be happy and at peace regardless of what yes. that income level is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lie that if you're unhappy here, that you're going to be happy over there in a lot of right. different things. Like if you can't learn how to be happy where you are and content where you are, whether it's the job or the money you're making or whatever, like it's probably not going to be like if I just change my situation. 
I'll be perfectly happy again. You know, it's probably more of an internal. There's something there. And Chris Brengard came on our podcast. I'm sure you've heard of Chris and has been incredibly successful. And, and he made a comment to me. You made a comment just now. I'm just putting the two together where you said, you know, you've been around some people like extraordinary money, phenomenal leaders, phenomenal executives, big-time executives, and they're not any happier now that you've been around them. You're like, oh, they're not any happier than maybe this person over here. And then Chris made a comment, if you remember, that I thought just really stuck out to me is, he also was blown away by they're actually not really any that much smarter. Like mm-hmm. he said, he used to walk. You remember that, Chris? Yeah, talking about like he would go into these big time meetings, like on wherever Wall Street. Like, Who's the DC? I believe. Yeah, Washington DC. Like it's like the best thinkers in the country are coming together. Trying to think. And he's like, here he is from Paragould, Arkansas, and he's like, oh my, I'm gonna feel so much shame, and I walk, I'm gonna be so embarrassed by how smart these guys are. And he'd be walking to be like, <laughs> they're really just normal people. I'm thinking if you add, if you add to that, I have the exact exact same feeling at you know at conferences or in big intimidating situations i think if you add this my you know my identities in christ and this stuff kind of don't matter anyway if you add that to it it really makes it like (laughs) why would anyone be intimidated with this group of yeah of people that's awesome and and so what (laughs) yeah i i feel like i'm convinced that i know this and i'm the, the person to do whatever this is and if they don't accept me it's like it doesn't matter um i, I don't know how to yes um just be willing but I, I i think that that's a that's great insight from chris because it's a uh there is that level of feeling of being from you know points at county arkansas and being in meetings with uh you know suits and ties from you know the elites in Dallas or whatever the case is, and you leave it thinking broker moth is a way better <laughs> broker than that yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, or, you know, my the investments guy is so much better or more qualified than this one. Wow. Or I think the thing that we always, we feel like the world is so different. I guess every generation feels like that, but nothing's new. I mean mm-hmm. – Old Testament, like That's literally, it. there's That's just it. nothing. Nothing under the sun. There isn't. Um, yeah. So we we always bring ourselves back to that. That's but. good, man. I think when I what you're talking about is non anxious leadership, which we've been talking about with our staff recently, of like the importance of being a non anxious leader. You know, a lot of times, like people don't make decisions unless they get group consensus, and they often are going by the most anxious person, and they're like, "I just want to make everybody happy, and I want everybody to be happy with me." Is really what they're saying, like you know. And so I think. If I just put together what I've taken away from you is uh, what has made you be successful in, in the career path that you've chosen that God's put you in is, yes, you're a visionary, but what I want to take away from me personally, and I want to encourage others to listen to this, is like you are, whether you say this about yourself or not, you're a learner, which means you're humble. Um, you're willing to say, like, I don't know all the answers, and I'm going to go figure it out. And I think, like, especially, like, that's the, the older you get, the more experience you get, the harder that can be, you know, but you're like, I love that. that. You're like, I was calling, I'm annoying them. I'm staying with them. I'm asking questions. I'm doing this. I'm, you know, that's huge. And I think what's also huge is your, your willingness to take a risk, to not be afraid of failure, like to have the confidence and, and to walk into a room and be like, you know what? Like not everybody's going to like it or they might not agree with it or I might not get it, but that's okay. Like I'm going to push forward anyway. And I think like if you can have at least those two things, I think like humility and the confidence to like to, the humility, and I guess the the reality of like, hey, failure doesn't have to be final. Like it's 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 not the end of the world. Like that's going to go a long way, and then you just show up and do the hard work. 
which is you too. And so it's like yeah. humility, hard work, and ability to like push through the fear of failure. That I I I oh I didn't mention it, but I think that sales is even people that are unfamiliar with sales or unfamiliar with how to to you know sales. You you think of I've got to sell someone something that they don't want. What people don't generally view sales as is I have the answer here mm. and I can see the vision here. And I need to be able to communicate that in a way that someone believes me. So I can see this vision. I know that it works, but getting someone else to see that and believe you yes. is is very important. And when I was dating, um, when my wife and I were dating, I, I was making trips. So I'd, I'd have to leave at 5 a.m. to get back to be at church on Sunday mornings and after if I was going to Conway to see her for a weekend or whatever, and I would listen to Zig Ziglar CDs in the six-disc CD changer, Mm -hmm. um, the secrets of closing sales. And I I remember looking back, it was so early I couldn't be on the phone with somebody and I couldn't be Mm -hmm. distracted. So I was fully, and I'm I'm just generally like, my goodness, from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. is my like, superpower um, i just think so much mm-hmm. better during that time Yep, same way and watching a sunrise drinking coffee yes. listening to that content and not being able to be distracted yes it literally like it, it meant something to my entire life yeah. of listening to you know zig was he was a believer um but he also there's some very basic lessons in the things that he communicates on ways to uh you know to to not get people to do what you want them to do, but be able to deliver a, if you genuinely believe this product or this pan or whatever is helpful and you believe it and you're willing to sacrifice it. The most loving thing you can do is to. That's it. Yeah. Show it to them. But be able to, to convey that to someone else. And I think that we've kind of created a culture in our office that we were able to do that. So we have, I think a lot of trust to, you know, the biggest compliment that I've ever had in my entire life is that my partner has chose to be a partner with me. Mm. He just don't part. He, he don't. He, he's he has very very high standards, and the thought now every year that goes by that's more of a compliment to me of like, mm. my goodness, we have people ask us to be partners literally every week, and we've never we just don't we mm. never have been mm. for lots of different reasons, but. Um, that's been the biggest compliment, but then also looking at companies, you know, the biggest companies in Northeast Arkansas that have allowed us to be their partner, like the real partner, like, you know, to come in and do a project with, with NEA Baptist or with High Troll or with Ritter or, Mm. um, very complimentary, uh, big companies that just don't have partners that way, um, has meant a lot to us, and it's also we don't we don't take that lightly. So, yeah, um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Somewhere. Well, I, yeah, there's so many more questions I'd love to be able to ask you, and I'll have to have you on for part two. I want to ask you about sales and all kinds of other things, persuasion and people and connecting with people because it's a huge part of your job. But for the sake of time, what we'll do is we'll move into some rapid fire questions if you're ready for it. Okay. All right, so number one, what is either the last show or movie you watched? Or if you don't watch TV, what's the last book you read or book you listened to? Um, well, 
Let me think about that. Movie or TV show or book, the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched um, The Meg 2 with my with my son. Uh, it's a movie that came out. We're streaming. The what? It's called The Meg. The Meg? Uh, it's about a, you know, it's a. It's it's like a, a sea monster? Thriller. Yeah, it's like yeah. there's okay. a Meg one. It's like a modern day version of Jaws. Okay. Um, Is it good? Yeah, it's jumpy. You know, it's just jumpy. Um, okay. Makes you jump. Yeah. And, uh, I've watched that, and I've I've uh, uh, I've been reading. You know, I'm, I'm in a D group right now, and we're memorizing Colossians three. So that is my. Uh, we've just kind of finished. We're about a verse away from being done. So I'm I'm reading that every day, and um, you know, I'd like to say I don't like I don't watch TV or shows, but I love I love watching shows. Yeah, same here, man. You need that, right? For a guy who wants to win, just do something yeah. that's mindless, that's not about winning. You bet. That's a discipline, man. Uh, favorite band? Uh, my favorite band. I don't know if it's a band, but, uh, you know, I I love uh, country music, and I love okay. going to country music concerts with All-time favorite country. Who probably be? Eric Church, probably. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. My wife and I've been to. I've got. I've had several good memories of us going to concerts of his. We've we've went out to Washington to a venue called the Gorge, and it's on the Columbia River, and it mm. is in the middle of nothing, and it's the most perfect landscape you can ever imagine. But wow. he did a two day concert there that we went to that will always be one of my wow. favorite memories. So I can hear one of it probably any fifteen of his songs, and just makes you like kind of takes you there. What's your favorite song from Merritt Church? Uh, you know, he's got a, a he's got a song that's called Some of It that is a uh, there's over a hundred uh, words of wisdom in there for your kids and uh, one liners. Um, it's just an entire song of one liners. Very cool. And I'm gonna listen to it. He is uh you know the difference in in the songs that I I grew up kind of in eighties and nineties country is like most of those guys didn't write any of their music. George Strait, the king of country, wrote one or two songs and they were fair plus maybe. Uh, and all the guys that I, the Garth Brookses and all those were just they were performers. They weren't you know yeah they weren't living it. And Eric writes the stuff. All of it. Wow. So him and this new generation of like Morgan Wallen and Chris Chris Stapleton, I I tend to enjoy more when I do listen to that kind of music. Mm-hmm. That's you know the majority of the time we we try to listen to worship music and uh, listen to Christian music. And uh, but the times that we we do listen to Christian or to country music, I really like this generation that we're in now mm-hmm. because at a concert they will tell you the history of how they wrote this song or why, and it feels like you kind of know them a little bit. Yep. And it just wasn't the case with the other ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I'd... have you ever listened to Twister Alley? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> know, but the last guy we had on here, he's a uh, uh, Lance Blythe. He works for our Green County Extension Office, and we had him on just to talk about the Extension Office. And like middle through, like the podcast, he just made a comment about when he was at Arkansas State and he left for a while to tour with his band. I was like, "Well, wait a minute, what?" Anyways, the guy right here in Paragold. And uh, he started a band called Twister Alley, and they toured the country for three years and were signed by Mercury Records, which signed who? Chris Stapleton. Well, back then it was Reba and uh, Vince Gill. Yeah. They wow. were on the he radio. Was, he was signed at the same yeah, time. They've got, like, Wikipedia page. They've got, like, music videos that were up. Yeah, let's hear in Paragold. And we're like, Lance. <laughs> like, 
Time out. Like, we're going to go this direction for a while. Yeah. So, Twister Alley. I'd never heard of them either. Big time country band in the early 90s. Uh, what would your last meal consist of? This one's easy because we talk about it a lot. Um, we go to Jerry's Steakhouse in Truman. Never been, but I've heard great things about it. Yeah, it, it's an easy question for me. We go small ribeye, baked potato. From Jerry's. Mm-hmm. It's in that Truman. good. So my wife and I went, uh, her parents live in Truman, and we we dropped our kids off and went there every Friday night and kind of put a hat on and acted like we didn't know anybody for two hours to just hang out. Literally, we did that for years, three or four years. It's still there? Oh, yeah. and the, But now we, um, now it's a little bit different because uh, my son and daughter, um, it's the only restaurant to my knowledge that uh, I just ordered the same thing for my whole family. We all get a small ribeye and a baked potato, and we don't, you know, add anything or take anything away. Uh, we, you know, it's it's cool having your your kids, and that's their favorite meal too. Of just telling the waiter, or the waitress, you know, we all want small ribeyes, medium. You know, man, don't need menus. You've been to Jerry's uh, one time when I was in high school. It wouldn't be your last meal. I didn't go to Truman a whole lot, oh, so okay. I remember it being good. But I'm gonna hit it up. That's our next date night. Not you and me. I looked at you and I said that. <laughs> me and my wife. Um, what is on your nightstand right now? Uh, a book by John Tyson is on my nightstand. Uh, Intentional Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, another book um, by John Tyson. It's one of his first books uh, that he, he, he recommended that uh, after, I guess, I don't know how to take this, but spending a few trips with me um he said i you need to read this book uh but it's basically about slowing down and um you know challenging uh you know challenge myself of like who am i trying to you know where's this passion coming from where's this drivenness coming from are mm-hmm. you trying to prove something to someone who why you're like, dude, we're just hanging out. You don't have to get inside so, of my stuff, man. Well, I have a, a book on my nightstand. Uh, I have three. Actually, there's three books on my nightstand. I don't read. Um, <laughs> and It feels good, though, to see them, don't yeah, it? Yeah, I've, I've read uh, The Intentional Father kind of changed my life. And yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's on my nightstand. I, I, I open it um, to go back to things. And another book by John Tyson that I cannot remember the name of, uh, right now, I've not started it, uh, but another one is Fearless that one of my best friends from Joan, Jonesboro, um, he's a judge, uh, been friends with him for a long time. He sent to me, wanted me to read. And It's about the Navy SEAL? Uh-huh. Yeah, so Philip Greer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know Philip Greer. He's mm-hmm. uh, well. Him and uh, the, the, the guy that book is about, I cannot remember for the life of him. Anyways, Philip Greer and him grew up together and were good friends in high school. Interesting. Yeah, Philip's got some great stories about him. About just like there's even a couple stories in that book. Philip's like, yeah, I was there when that happened. Wow. Wow. So yeah, he was at Washita this past weekend. I don't know if you saw him. Yeah, Phillip. I did see Philip this weekend yeah, at yeah. Washita. Yeah. So, uh, last two questions, or this one's more of a statement, I guess. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Um, you know, we we went on a family vacation to Hawaii. When we went on a family vacation to Zion National Park, we really right now filled with these um you know my my daughter in in 2020 really in 2019 I had kind of 16 trips that I wanted as a family for us to have taken before she is you know married or before she's kind of off in college to a spot where she can't do that 
and um, we we put together 16 trips. So 2020 happened, COVID happened. We didn't, we couldn't do any of them. We couldn't start. So she was a freshman in college, and I kind of freaked out when we left her. Was like, we've not started on those. I don't have time to do them. And it was an entire Sunday after church. I took a sketch pad and put the 16 trips, did the basic amount of research on when you can and when you sh- when you should or should not go to Banff National Park in Canada. Mm. When you the best month to go to Hawaii mm. and kind of these 16 bucket list trips, and I divvied them out to four years to every every season. That's so cool. every spring break, every fall break, every Christmas break, and uh, summer is a big trip and. Uh, we're one year into that, but I can think of any one of those trips of like, you know, driving at Banff National Park from one park to the next and just kind of being in awe and in Hawaii with them and just kind of being in awe or any of these trips really we've taken to mm. places that, that I've not been and my wife's not been and we've wanted us and our children to see. Um, I can point to any day with any of those trips and that's be cool, like, man. that's where it was, that's really exciting and for us right now the benefit is like you every three or four months we're doing some trip together so you're we're always kind of planning right now that's cool that's great man last question what is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now um just kind of what you mentioned earlier just uh grace like you just can't mess up in a in a way that you can't be forgiven Mm -hmm. um you know, I'm grateful there's too many of these things to name, but um, these people that, you know, my five people I spend all my time around that I feel like I look like and talk like because I'm with them all the time. It's my wife and my partner and uh, some of the people in our company and um, and my friends that I've, I've chosen to spend my time with, like uh, Blake that's here and uh, Justin Arbuckle. He's another pastor that he's now at another church. And, mm. um I'm just thankful for that, thankful for kind of the people and that's around me and, you know, the grace that that we get, you know, to be forgiven every day, it seems like, when we mess up. So, it's kind of the two things. Well, I think that's a great place to end, man. Josh, thanks so much for making space right. to be here. I know you're a busy dude, but I uh, really appreciate you coming on. You bet. Thanks. And Josh Brown has left the building. He has. Uh, you guys go way back. We I didn't do. know that yeah. until he got here. Yeah, we've ridden some four-wheelers together back in uh, high school days and shocked each other with uh, taser guns and stuff like that. <laughs> How much of uh, your influence in his life do you uh, take credit for in regards to his success? You know, not a big metrics guy. You oh, know, I, I, I was probably spitball. I'm about 80% responsible oh, for wow. how okay. successful he is. I'm, I'm sure that is absolutely true. I think he would agree. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Uh, if only we would have talked about that on the podcast, you know, we could have known for sure. Missed our opportunity. Missed an opportunity. Uh, hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. If you've not already done so, please check us out on our different social media platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram primarily. So go to Facebook, uh, go to Instagram, give us a like, follow us. Um, and whatever you're uh, listening to this on, whatever platform, whether it's Apple or Spotify, Um, something else please take an opportunity to give this podcast a five-star rating Uh, that just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in our community so as always thanks for listening until next time